Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, sports fans. Welcome to the sixth episode of Beyond the Game on Double G Sports Radio. I am your host, Erica Lindsay Ayala. Tonight, we're going to discuss... Title IX ahead of the 45th anniversary on Friday, June 23rd. I was able to attend a panel discussion that was hosted by the Radcliffe Institute of Advanced Studies at Harvard University last month. So we want to thank the Radcliffe Institute for inviting us to come up and grab some audio clips and be able to speak to the women about Title IX as we get ready to celebrate the 45th anniversary. We also have on the show uh, clips from the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. I was able to speak with uh, Christine Grant, and she is a former athletic director at the University of Iowa. She was actually the first female athletic director at Iowa, and she is on fire for Title IX. But she also knows that the legislation has a long way to go. So this is a jam-packed show, but now we can go around the leagues. In WNBA news, very important, the Connecticut Sun are on a four-game winning streak right now. Defeated the three-time WNBA championship Minnesota Lynx in order to keep their streak going. They also defeated the New York Liberty in that stretch. So Connecticut Sun are on a roll. They have some time off to rest, recuperate, and of course practice. And then they will be hosted by none other than the New York Liberty at Madison Square Garden this weekend. We're going to have updates on WGSports.com from that game. New York Liberty hosts the Connecticut Sun this Friday. Diana Taurasi on Sunday surpassed Tina Thompson now she holds the overall record for scoring. She has the scoring record in the WNBA. She has 7,494 points and counting. However, unfortunately, that milestone in her career in the history of the WNBA was not enough to defeat the defending champion, Los Angeles Sparks, and the Mercury fell to the Sparks 90-59. to on Sunday. Sky Blue FC now sits at at the top of the table. They're in the top four after defeating Portland two, or excuse me, after defeating Portland three to one. They scored a goal in the first 24 seconds of the game. That was Raquel Rodriguez that got the scoring started. Then Sam Kerr got a brace for the team and that gave them the three points, which put them ahead of the Portland Thorns to secure third place. They're right behind the Chicago Red Stars, who they will see this weekend in action out in Chicago. And they will return to Yersak Field uh, the following Wednesday for a midweek game against the Orlando Pride. That is your abbreviated Around the Leagues. We'll have more information, as always, on WGSports.com, as well as at WGSports on social media. But without further ado, let's get into the episode. 
Okay, we are here to talk about Title IX, the landmark legislation that opened up opportunities in sports and education for women in the United States. In 1972, President Richard Nixon signed Title IX into law. It was introduced by Senator Bay, but it was written by two women in Congress, Edith Green of Oregon and Patsy Takemoto Mink of Hawaii. It's named after Patsy Mink, one of the co-authors, but let's read exactly what we are talking about. So the Patsy Mink Equal Opportunity Education Act, also known as Title IX, reads, No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal assistance. That is the Patsy Takemoto Equal Opportunity in Education Act. And that was named after Patsy Mink in 2002. And in 2014, posthumously, uh, President Barack Obama offered the Medal of Freedom, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, to Mink. In his comments at the ceremony, he said, Every girl in Little League, every woman playing college sports, and every parent, including Michelle and myself, who watches their daughter on a field and in the classroom, is forever grateful to the late Patsy Patsy Takemoto Mink. I am particularly grateful because she was my congresswoman for a long time. President Obama continued, Patsy was many firsts, including the first women of color in Congress, and to those of us in Hawaii, she represented the very best of public service and the aloha spirit. So wanted to give a shout out to Patsy Mink as we prepare to celebrate the 45th anniversary of Title IX on Friday, that is June 23rd. On today's show, we're going to hear from a few athletes, uh, an athletic director, and and others, and as well as myself, about Title IX. There is a lot to be thankful for when it comes to what Title IX has opened up for women in America. However, there is still some work that needs to be done. You know, at 45, uh, there are some tilts perhaps that need to be made. I'm also going to talk about some counter arguments that I personally find holes in when it comes to how Title IX has impacted boys and men in sports. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I want to open up with I was able to attend the Title IX overtime panel discussion at the Radcliffe Institute for advanced study that's at Harvard University. I was able to attend that panel last month and the panel was moderated by Shira Springer who is with WBUR and National Public Radio NPR. She also uh, writes for the Boston Globe. She was the moderator and was able to have on her panel athletes of some former, some current uh, in Maura Healy. Maura Healy is the current attorney general in Massachusetts, but she also was a college and professional basketball player. Swin Cash is a three-time WNBA uh, champion and recently retired from the WNBA, but has remained with the New York Liberty as the director of franchise development. And then Jevy Stone, Olympian Jevy Stone, who should be finishing up her doctorate, as I understand, very soon, uh, is on the panel. So we're going to open with Shira Springer talking to the panelists about the impact of Title IX on their career, as well as themselves personally. Uh, We'll hear from 
Maura Healy first, then Swin Cash, and then Jevy Stone. So tonight with our panelists, I want to talk about Title IX, not just as the legislative part of it, but as the symbolic part as the symbolic force, and to use that as a, as a jumping off point for a conversation about sports and gender that will involve all of you. And it's about more than equality of participation. To me, it's about funding and marketing. It's about opportunities at the youth level, getting better facilities. And then outside of sports, in a larger context, the symbolic force of Title IX, it made women, and I don't think just athletes, but women more aware of inequalities and the fact that they deserved bigger roles and better treatment. And we know that statistics show that sports plays an important role in developing female leaders. It's no surprise to me, actually, that when there was that whole conversation, well, when the, the women's hockey team and the women's soccer, soccer team fought for pay equality this past year, that it mirrored what was happening with discussions across the nation about the gender pay gap. So anyways, that's the way I see Title IX. I'm excited to dive into it with our panelists. So let's start with this. I'll start a bit broadly, and I'm gonna go to you, Maura. Where would you be without Title IX? Well, I certainly wouldn't be Attorney General. I think that sports really gave me esteem and self-confidence. I started playing sports in the late 70s, uh, through the 80s and, and early 90s, and was a beneficiary of Title IX, and a lot of ground had already been broken in terms of the formation of youth sports teams for girls. And so I just think that as I look back, uh, sports and, and really what was created through Title IX, um, for me it was about instilling discipline, learning how to compete um, as a girl. Um, I think that it's important that we not be afraid to compete. Um, and I think of so many lessons along the way that I learned from sports, and it's clear to me that um, I wouldn't have had the, the uh, experience of, of coming to college here um, and playing for Kathy Delaney Smith uh, were it not for uh, what sports gave me and continued to give me, and even going to try out as a, uh, I guess I was 5'4". I've never really grown. I think that's as far as I got. I've been 5'4 since I think I was in eighth grade. Uh, so at 16, you at, I, at 16, I thought I was all that. You know, went off to um, try out for the national team, and, and I've got a rude awakening. But what was really cool about that experience was meeting women who, had, uh, who I had, had idolized, and you know, to, to, uh, to see women like that, to be inspired by women like that, um, definitely motivated me. I remember thinking, boy, if Nancy Lieberman can win four Olympic medals, what can I do, you know? Um, uh, and so I just am forever grateful to, uh, to sports because of what it has uh, given me and the experiences that it's given me. I'll go down the line with Swin, if not for Title IX. I would, I would echo that. I think if it wasn't for Title IX, um, I, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Uh, I think Title IX, uh, for me, uh, was a sign of opportunity. And I think it, it led to having got this God-given ability to, to play sports and compete, but you can play sports and compete when you come from humble beginnings, but if there's no opportunity to take that to the next level, um, that you're just competing in your neighborhood. And so when my mom told me at a young age that, hey, I, I can't pay for you to go to college, but these people are writing letters and they see you playing basketball, they see you doing track and all these different things, you have a real opportunity. Um, 
it's hard to understand that ma message internally as a young kid, but my mother and I had those conversations. And so I tell kids all the time now is that I use basketball. Basketball never used me because the end game for me was always to use my sport to get my education and then to be able to go out there in the world and make a change. And because of basketball, I've been able to do that all over the world. And that is, to me, pretty remarkable thinking where I came from to where I am today. Um, I also echo what Swin and Morris said. I think as a rower, you grow up with a very close relationship with Title IX. My mom rode in the 70s with and knew the Yale women who walked into the athletic director's office protesting. And she raced the 1976 Olympics where they got garters as part of their Olympic kit. Um, <laughs> needless to say that 40 years later, we were not getting garters in our Olympic kit. Um, and I think the change generationally growing up with a mother who raced at the elite level was very visible to me, how many opportunities I got compared to the ones she got. She went to Cal Berkeley, which didn't have a women's rowing program at the time, so she transferred to Cal State Long Beach where she could row at a local club. So, and I just kind of took it for granted that I could apply to colleges where I could row. Um, not that I took it for granted, I did appreciate it, but it just, the number of opportunities was so much greater the time that I got into the field and it, enabled me to receive an education at the same time and I got to grow as an athlete and that's why I am who I am today is really that chasing that student athlete dream. Now as we can hear from all of the women, they over their time, over their lifetime have seen the impacts of Title IX and particularly Mora and Jevy talked about what her sport was like when her mother was participating and it's estimated that when Title IX was introduced in 1972, 42% of college students were female and 30,000 girls participated in high school sports. In 2014, those numbers, those numbers raised, we see 50 per, 56, excuse me, percent of college students uh, were women and um, we see that girls participating in high school sports increased 904%, and that number is an increase of 456% at the college level. Um, so these numbers are coming from the National Center for Educational Statistics, as well as information and reports that were pulled from the Women's Sports Foundation. So we will have that in the show notes. Uh, so there's no question that participation, generally speaking, for girls and women at the college level and even in high school has increased because of Title IX, as well as um, access to a college education. Um, however, even uh, the Women's Sports Foundation and other advocacy organizations will tell you that there have been some hiccups along the way. There's also some great research that I find intriguing by Monique Walker Pickett. She got her doctorate at the University of Miami, and in her dissertation, she breaks down how um, the three-pronged approach to Title IX has impacted girls and women of color in a unique way. So we're going to hear from Christine Grant about her thoughts on Title IX at the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. I was able to sit down with her. And then once we come back, I'll introduce a little bit more of Dr. Pickett's work as well as the three-pronged approach 
uh, to Title IX compliance. I was very, very surprised when I was told about this because I, I should admit I never played basketball. I played a game called netball, which is like basketball with no dribbling. That was in Scotland. Um, but I have spent my entire career trying to increase the sporting opportunities for girls and women um, in all sports, not just basketball. And, and I have found that extremely satisfying because when Title IX was passed in 1972, there were almost no opportunities at the collegiate level and there were very few at the high school level. And I thought that was, that was really blatant discrimination. Um, and so when Title IX was passed, um, we obviously saw major changes in the 70s, which was wonderful. But then uh, we lost Title IX in the 80s, and so we didn't make any progress in the 80s. And then the 90s was like a renaissance, and we started making progress again under uh, President Clinton. But then we haven't seen much progress since the year 2000, and that's sad, because we are not where we ought to be. And I want to say something that I think our readers will really understand why I feel the way I do. Our young women at high school today do not have as many opportunities as the boys had 45 years ago. They are short by about half a million slots, and that's not fair. So... We've got to start making progress again because I think sport really empowers women. Um, it makes them physically powerful, emotionally powerful, um, and I think helps prepare them to be the kind of strong leader that I know they're capable of being. And they have not had the leadership opportunities that they should have had. You know, you can look at government, and women only constitute about 20% of all the people at the federal level and also at the state level. That's not right. You can look at the companies and the CEOs, how many of them are women, not nearly enough. And I, I really think that sport gives women the confidence and the strength to aspire to do great things across the board women in engineering, women in sciences. I mean, you name it, we don't have equal opportunity yet and we've got to keep pushing for it. Um, not every woman is really interested in sport, but every woman has the potential to be a leader in whatever area that she chooses and she's got to have that option. That's where I am coming from. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about the three components of Title IX. And within the three components, within the first component of the three components, is the three-prong test that people usually talk about. So, okay, the first, first let's talk about the overarching three components. Component one is effective accommodation of interest. And we'll break that down a little bit more in a bit because we're going to break down the three prongs. The second component is financial assistance, basically stating that there need to be proportional, strictly proportional scholarships to athletes. 
Now, this is financial assistance that must be strictly proportional. This is primarily for the collegiate level, but can also apply to high schools where athletes are given financial scholarships and tuition waivers, things of that. Uh, And we need to make sure that this is proportional. That's the big part of that. And component three is the equivalence in other benefits and opportunities. These other benefits and opportunities include such things as competent officials. <laughs> That's an interesting one. Uh, we'll, we'll just leave that there. Competent officials, uniforms, coaching quality. That's another very interesting one. Practicing game schedules, facility access, facility quality, equipment quality, and quantity, and um, other things as such. So these are budget, uh, these are resources, uh, the budget and resource type things. Now let's go back to component one, effective accommodation of interest. Component one contains three prong, the three prong test. So the first part of the three prong test for compliance is participation should be proportional to enrollment. Therefore, if 49% of the student body at college XYZ is female, then 49% of the, the student athlete population must also be female. That's the first way that you can show compliance under component one, effective accommodation of interests. Another way you can show effective accommodation of interests, and this is the one that drives most people crazy, is the school shows a recent history of expanding sport offerings for women. Examples are new sports or competitive levels within the past three to five years. Now, this is one where you have advocates such as athletic director Deborah Yao. She's now at North uh, Carolina State, NC State. She really feels that all schools, especially since inception of Title IX, should be in compliance here. And there should be no excuses for not moving ahead. That's Deborah Yao's take. Um, However, athletic directors usually have the most difficulty with this because of some of the surveying that they have to do to show interest in particular sports. So it's not just that you have women that are interested in sport, but also what sports are they interested in and can you get your athletic department to get those females that are interested in sport in sport so that you don't have to impact other sports, particularly on the men's side. So that again is showing a recent history of expanding sport offerings for women in particular. The third way that you can be in compliance, the third prong under component one, effective accommodation of interest is interest and abilities of female athletes have been fully and effectively accommodated as documented by regularly administrated surveys of females emerging interest in sports. So again, this is I'm not a big fan of of this surveying idea. I just don't know how quickly the data gets turned around. Even in public schools, I'm a child advocate by by profession, by trade. Getting data on things like this quickly is difficult. Being able to assess and analyze the data is difficult and and costly. But then being able to go from getting the data and then executing a plan reflected from the data in a timely fashion that won't then change the very next school year that can be difficult so what if in the you know in the first four years of surveying every single female 
this is hypothetical, every single female really wants to bowl. They want professional, or excuse me, they want competitive bowling on campus. And then the next four years, that survey changes. Additionally, historically and systemically, this surveying idea is is tricky because the whole idea behind Title IX is that women were not given equal access to engage in sport with anything. It's not uncommon, but it is unusual, or excuse me, it's not um, impossible, but it is uncommon and unusual for someone to have a fervor, a passion for something later in life, particularly when we're talking about sports, even more particularly when we're talking about sports at an elite level. Because let's remember, although Title IX is open to the high school levels, it's open to public schools and community based sport, almost all of the data, almost all of the scrutiny comes at the college level. So therefore, if you have a college that is getting young men or women from communities that did not cultivate a passion and a love for sport through access and exposure, then the likelihood of them favorably uh, responding to a survey about interest is is going to be impacted. And so that's why I I'm not a huge fan of of the surveys. I'm just perhaps if there's anyone out there listening that can tell me a little bit more about how these surveys are administered, how the surveys are assessed, and then how the surveys uh, from the surveys come and a plan of compliance, please let me know. But I just find that the turnaround to be iffy at best. And I think it it objects what we know about the systemic the the structural the the law based and and practice and practical um the 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 practice of communities and of society from eliminating and excluding women from competitive sports so i'm not a big fan of the third prong of component one but those are the prongs and you know i'm not the only one so there's two people that i'm going to mention now three technically um the first is a woman by the name of monique walker pickett that's dr monique walker pickett Now she, while she was at the University of Miami, did her dissertation on the the disparity between girls and women of color as uh, Title IX was being rolled out compared to the general population, ergo white girls and women. Her dissertation is entitled, The Effect of Title IX on Participation of Black and White Females in High School Sports, Evidence from a National Longitudinal Study. Now, again, I told you I am from the nonprofit sector. I do dabble with data. I'm data adjacent is what I like to say. I'm more of a program person. But I do know that longitudinal studies are a huge deal. So Congratulations to Monique Walker Pickett et al. But what did this longitudinal data show? This longitudinal data showed that although we not only were seeing gains in participation for girls and women since Title IX, we've also um, seen measurement of participation. Again, still mostly at the collegiate level, but we also see upticks at the high school level. Gets a little finicky when we break down public schools versus other types of schools. And then when we break that down as far as the economic uh, resources that schools have. But 
that some of that is in here. But what the research has found is that there's been less attention paid to the breakdown of race within the gender population, meaning that um, what we're seeing is that women of color are missing out from these growth sports. So again, we mentioned the prongs, the way that schools can be in compliance with Title IX is by adding sports. What a lot of schools do is they add what they call growth sports. Growth sports are sports that are are popular for girls. There's data showing that two great examples Soccer and hockey on the girls and women's side has grow, has exponential growth in the last several years. However, less attention, and this is a direct quote, less attention has been given to the progress of black females in benefiting from implementation of Title IX policy. The underrepresentation of black women has been clearly a pattern in terms of such outcomes as awarding scholarships, And again, these growth sports. So what we're seeing is that female athletes of color are are usually cajoled into two sports. They tend to be overrepresented population-wise in track and field and basketball. But they're underrepresented in the sports that most schools have added over time to be in compliance with Title IX. Hockey, soccer, volleyball, uh, lacrosse, field hockey. Uh, These are the kinds of sports that traditionally require more money, not only from an individual standpoint, but also from the school standpoint. Ice time, we're talking equipment, insurance, things of that nature. So that's a population that's not being represented when we're talking about Title IX. And Monique Walker Pickett and her colleagues say that that's a huge problem, and I tend to agree. Even in in the forty five in the forty fifth anniversary, the forty five years after inception of the act, we're still seeing that trend hold, and that's something that also reflects a lot of what we see in society. A breakdown of what's good for everyone is not really good for everyone because disproportionately, people of color tend to be excluded from these upticks in growth, and that also includes Title IX. So another two people that I want to introduce at this time when we're talking about some of the loopholes and some of the shortcomings of Title IX, uh, the two former athletes, one, Donna DeVarona, who was an Olympic swimmer, and Julie Foudy. Julie Foudy obviously is with ESPNW, played soccer for the national team, won an Olympic medal and a World Cup during her time. Now, both Donna and Julie were part of the 2002 Commission on Opportunity in Athletics that was convened by Secretary of Education at the time, Roderick Page. Now, Donna and Julie, although serving on this commission, did not agree with the reporting that came from the commission. And so they wrote a report themselves that was released February 26, 2003, the minority views on the report of the Commission on Opportunity in Athletics. The general gist is that Donna and Julie did not feel that the report to be released by the commission was comprehensive enough. And the commission was put together 
to do just that is to take a good hard look at what is coming out of Title IX, 40 years at the time, into the legislation and ways that the act could be modified to make sure that it was still being effective, such as what Dr. Pickett was saying, um, among other ways. Another big piece of putting the commission together was because there was a lot of conversation that Title IX was having the adverse effect of limiting uh, boys and men's opportunities in sports. And so probably the latter more than the former, as in probably more to do with uh, boys and men feeling that they were being ousted from sports as opposed to wanting to increase girls and women of color in sports, the commission was put together. Uh, and Donna and Julie did not agree with the report. They say... Uh, our decision, that is to write a dissent report, is based on our fundamental disagreement with the tenor, structure, and significant portions of the content of the commission's report, which fails to present a full and fair consideration of the issues or a clear statement of the discrimination women and girls still face in obtaining equal opportunity in athletics. They had a fund fundamental disagreement with the tone of the commission report and that it fails to present full and fair considerations of ongoing discrimination. They also felt that the recommendations would weaken Title IX's protections and sustainability. And finally, they believed that one of the proposals specifically that only one, excuse me, of the proposals would address budgetary causes underlying the discontinuation of some men's teams. So they had a lot of things in here. But what I found particularly interesting was their finding number four. And this is one that kind of goes to why I'm not a big fan of people who are anti-Title IX because of the, the third prong surveying. Finding number four was, in this dissent report, was the fact that women and girls have fewer opportunities in athletics than men reflects the persistent discrimination against them, not lack of interest. I'm going to read that again. The fact that women and girls have fewer opportunities in athletics than men reflects the persistent discrimination against them not lack of interest. That is absolutely correct. That is perfectly what I was trying to say earlier. You cannot say that a group that has been oppressed, that has been ousted, that has been omitted, that has been shunned from sports is not interested in sports because they don't show up to a place that they were never invited they were never invited. And okay, we're saying oh, that was 1972. This is 2017. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the women's hockey team and the women's soccer team at the end of the show. But that's all I really need to say. The fact that women that compete for our country and women's basketball also have to fight for equal, equal per diem, equal insurance coverage. Equal equipment is ridiculous. Talk to Julie Foudy. Talk to her about how many hand-me-down uniforms she had to wear for the national team. Okay? And that's for women who actually were able to fight and get into sport. And that's, again, at the elite level. If at the elite level, the United States and the IOC 
the International Olympic Committee and U.S. soccer, USA hockey is not willing to equally and equitably fund championship teams for Olympians, for Olympic gold and silver medals, for world champions, World Cup winners. What do you think that they're doing? As, what are we doing as a country for your run-of-the-mill high school program? If Olympians can't even get what they need to compete successfully, yet still somehow win. That is my issue. That is my issue with this idea that you can justify the elimination of quotas, and I'm definitely doing air quotes here, that quotas are harmful. And one of the reasons why quotas are harmful is because they are unfounded, that women aren't interested in sport. That is a fallacy, and it completely ignores decades, a century worth of oppression and discrimination and elimination from participation. This is not about women not being interested in sport. It has everything to do with us as a society, the United States, making a judgment that women were not to play sport. They were not to be coaches. We still say that. They're not to be Olympic athletes. And they should, and even when they fight and they claw to be on those stages, that they're not, they're not worth what we give men's teams, most of which don't win anyway. Save the U.S. men's basketball team, and they still don't have as good a record as the women. So those are some of the holes in Title IX. Those are some of the voices that are trying to really raise this issue in Title IX. So there's a lot that we still have to do with this legislation. But I want to go back to Christine Grant and then to our panelists because a part of what needs to happen, not only to be able to celebrate for this 45th anniversary and beyond what Title IX has done and have that be a part of the narrative, but also to push and continue to push. And um, Maura Healy, the Attorney General, of course, the lawyer on the panel, is going to talk about that. She's going to talk about what it's going to take. And this is when I wanted to talk about the national team. She feels that it's going to take more legislation. It's going to take more lawsuits. And I think she makes an interesting point um, because we've had to see that in 2016, from 2015 to 2017, for both women's soccer and women's hockey, we've had to see them fight. We've had to see them fight for equal and or equitable treatment by their their federation. Um, and again, if we can't even get that for athletes who we parade out there when we want to show American pride, then what are public school students getting? What are our girls getting? And then bringing in what Dr. Pickett was saying, what are girls and women of color getting? These are some of the questions that we have. But that's why it's important, as we'll hear Christine Grant say, the voices that we have in women's sports, they need to continue to praise the good that's happened while pushing for more because there always can be more again we're going up against decades generations of oppression of elimination of women in sport and society that includes education and leadership and that needs to stop so we're going to hear from christine grant about who she thinks should be at the forefront and why leaders are needed 
And then we're going to hear from some of those leaders. Again, going back to the panel, we're going to hear from Jevy, Swin, and Mora about what they think needs to happen in women's sports and in greater society for us to move forward. I think some of our uh, high-level athletes, especially the ones that are associated with the Women's Sports Foundation, do a really good job of explaining that here's what sport did for me and this is what sport can do for your daughter or your granddaughter. And so I credit our younger generation who know that they have a responsibility to try to move this train forward and I admire them for doing it very much so. You see this all the time where you know fabulous talented women with so much uh, bringing so much to the table are routinely passed over for mediocre or less than mediocre males. <laughs> and you know so Wherever you have power or opportunity to hire and promote women, do that and stick by them and stick with them. Talk to me about some interesting solutions that, you, you know, there was the Instagram. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, and talking... it, to me, this is interesting too, because, you know, so there are big solutions and then there are little small ways in which, you know, the bias comes out against women's athletics. And sometimes just the smallest little change mm -hmm. can sometimes have large ramifications. And I think that was what you were thinking about when you thought about in the Instagram. Yeah, we were, we're talking about the university level, um, even at an institution like Harvard, which definitely values women as a whole and thinks about it. Obviously, we're here. Um, one of our former captains last year who's actually here tonight counted up the pictures in the Harvard Athletics Instagram account and it's about two-thirds male, one-third female. And why? The Harvard has an equal balance in terms of the number of sports played by women and men. So shouldn't they represent those sports equally and try to increase awareness of every sport equally? I mean, that's, that's the job of the athletic department. And... I think as a whole, I mean, social media has such an influence in our world today, and it is such an easy thing to tweak in terms of increasing awareness. So many people, you're talking about clicks, like so many people check Facebook, check Instagram, check Twitter, and so when you have accessibility and something like that, just making sure that on all levels you're increasing awareness of women and men, and also creating a, I think we're talking about also creating a demand and placing a value on women's sports that's equal to men's sports. So at Harvard, you have to pay to attend games for more men's sports than women's sports. And obviously football throws it off because there's no women's football team. But even if you eliminate football, you have to pay to attend more men's sports than women's sports. You pay to attend men's lacrosse. You do not pay to attend a women's lacrosse game. Why? Why should that be disparity? If it's a money thing, then decrease the cost of a men's ticket and increase the cost of a women's ticket so that they're even. They're, they should create a demand and place a value on women's sports that represents that they hold the sport in high esteem. Um, everyone is a student athlete. They're all playing at the same level. And I think in order for outsiders to see that, it can begin with an institution saying, we value these sports equally, so we are going to treat them equally. Mm. One other thing I'd add is that I think that um, we need to find ways to support women buy season tickets, you know, buy the package, buy the jerseys, have your little, you know, sons wearing 
jerseys of Liberty players, right? Like, that'll be the day. That's what we want to see. Um, so, you know, where we care about these issues, let's put our money and our wallets and our uh, energy um, and our time investing in and supporting women's athletics. Take them to girls' high school soccer games. Take your you know, kids to, to college games. Really support the programs and grow and create that demand and, and that consumer side of things. I think, I think that's really important. I think that we don't do um, as much as we could. Yeah. I think that we are like heading in a step in the direction. I remember the Women's World Cup, the most recent one, they didn't make a lot of the jerseys in men's sizes. And the men's sizes sold out instantaneously. I mean, that's a great step. The company is going, oh, shoot, we made a mistake. We didn't. And I think there was a public announcement about it because these <laughs> jerseys were flying off the shelves. And it just didn't occur to whatever Nike executive to make as many men's sizes of female jerseys. Mm -hmm. I mean, plenty of female wear Brady jerseys. Why shouldn't it go the other way around? But I think that was definitely a step in the right direction. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and I'll just kind of give you this. Um, kind of brief analogy just to think about and not even really answer today, but just go home and sleep on this because um, I had a conversation during our television show with our staff and we were in the production room and we were talking about how women support the NFL, which I said earlier about I love my football team and I'm pretty sure a lot of you in here have a football team you love too. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the thing was is that we were talking because all of domestic violence, a lot of different things were happening in the NFL. But if you looked at their merchandise and things that were being purchased and season tickets, none of that stuff was really being affected. And it made me start thinking about women's sports and how hard it is for us, um, for the New York Liberty, to get women to come out and support women at our game to buy the jerseys or buy the tickets. And there's always a complaint about, well, this costs this amount or that amount. But I looked over here at this men's league that yes, it's a powerhouse and it's been there for a number of years, but nothing was affecting. I mean, bad news after bad news, it wasn't affecting their numbers. And I think about like, why is that? And you think about it because there's a loyalty to your team. You love your team. You may not care what the rest of the league is doing, but you feel like, like this is my team, I'm connected to it. So for me, whenever we get to the point where all of New York and the surrounding areas love the Liberty and they're gonna support the Liberty, that's when I'm like, all right, we're moving in the right direction. And I just don't see that yet of women coming out and supporting women. The WNBA is the longest professional women's league in the world. Their union is the longest running union in the world that's ever been. And in order for us to keep it going, for my 13-year-old niece who's out there with a WNBA basketball in a gym by herself, we have to make sure that we support it because what's gonna happen is if it goes away, we're gonna be marching up and down the streets and complaining about why it didn't last. But the reality is, is not enough of us are supporting it. This has been our sixth episode of Beyond the Game at Double G Sports Radio. And this is a complex topic, Title IX. Again, lots to celebrate, but lots more work to do. If anything, I wanted this episode to show the complexities, to show that you can be proud, you can be grateful, you can honor and, and revere history, while also keeping your present situation in context. Yes, Title IX has done amazing things 
there are girls and women in sport at all levels coaches players executives athletic directors who if not for title nine would have had a much more difficult time getting to their positions if they were able to get there at all however that does not eliminate us as a society from having a conversation about girls and women who are still eliminated systemically eliminated from sport who are eliminated who have hit a glass ceiling despite how many olympic medals or world cups or world championships that they have they still can't break through not only in women's sports but in sports overall we still see a disproportional amount of of male coaches even in female sports and that's fine to have male coaches but again and i'm gonna i'm gonna you know dig into gino a little bit here but when he made a statement saying that the reason that there are not more female head coaches is because they don't want to be that is dismissive of an entire history of women being denied access now there there might be some women who don't want to be head coaches i don't want to be a head coach of a women's basketball team that's not where i feel my gifts are i don't feel that i have the skill set but that doesn't mean that there are women who do have that skill set who aren't you think about carol lawson asking to visit mba practices and not being given access and had to change her trajectory i interviewed taj mcwilliams franklin who wanted to get into coaching applied for multiple coaching jobs after a storied career in the wnba and could only find jobs as a second or third assistant until bill lambeer in the wnba gave her an opportunity as an assistant coach this is what we're talking about and this is not anecdotal What's more anecdotal are surveys about interest as opposed to what we see as far as the glass ceiling for women being able to participate in sport. That's my time, folks. This is the sixth episode of Beyond the Game with your girl, Erica Ayala. Tune in next week. We'll have more time to go into what happened at the NBA draft, what happened at the NHL expansion draft, what's going on with MLB baseball, and where are the Liberty and the Sun standing, uh, as well as Sky Blue FC. So thank you for your time, and I'll catch you next week. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.